Well, you know, I am so happy that you all are joining us here on Uncle Devin's We Nation podcast, We Nation Radio, because we have a wonderful guest here today. And I am so honored to be able to have uh, a former, uh, I guess he's a Grammy nominated artist in the children's music field. Uh, he is, um, I mean, just the, the, the death and the breath of what he's done in children's music is just phenomenal. And I'm so honored to have the one and only Alistair Mook here on the We Nation Radio. Welcome him to the Uncle Devin Show. Hey, Devin. <laughs> How's it going? Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure. Yeah, I am so glad. I'm, 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 I know we've been talking about getting together for the longest, but uh, first of all, I'm just so glad that you're here. If you can take a moment, tell the audience a little bit about who is Alistair Mook and uh, where you where do you live? Uh, who is Alistair Mook? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I live just outside of Boston. I was born mm-hmm. born in New York and grew up outside the city in New, New York City, and um, and uh, I I make music for adults and and for kids those kind of two separate tracks and then i i also spend a lot of time in schools working with kids and doing educational programs about um um history of of activism in america so i i do a lot of teaching around the labor rights movement woody guthrie and unions and also around civil rights um and in in all of that work, the the focus is what was the role of music, you know? How did people mm. use music as a tool to create change? What made you get into that field? Um, you know, before I started doing music for, uh, with with and for kids, when I was just playing for adults, I was always working with kids on the side. That was always my my side gig. Um, I worked in after school programs and. You know, it was the one other job besides music that I that I really enjoyed and felt like I was any good at at all. Um, and uh, everything I've ever done with music has always had an kind of an educational bent to it. You know, I I love history. As I've gotten older, uh, I love history more and more. And I just think it's so important for all of us to understand our past in order to understand our present and and our future, you know, and so even when I perform for adults, I do a lot of sort of storytelling, talk about the artists whose work I cover and sort of where inspiration came from, but in a kind of historical sense. And so it was very natural for me to move over to doing that with kids. What got you into focusing on labor uh, rights and civil rights? Well, um. I mean, as a suburban white kid, I have no, <laughs> I don't have a direct uh, bead on either one of those. And, um, you know, my parents were white collar professionals, uh, not union members. But my father was a, a folky, you know, a real died in the world, discovered folk music, starting with Josh White um, and then Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie, and on through Joan Baez and Odetta and all the rest. And I grew up on that music. And Woody Guthrie in particular, um, my dad had taken me to see a concert of Pete Seeger and, and Woody's son, Arlo Guthrie. And it really, it it just sort of grabbed me in a way that music hadn't before, because it it was about so much more than just music. It wasn't about entertainment, I should say. It was about community. You know, there was this feeling of everybody was involved in an experience together, and uh, and then I and then I started listening closely to some of Woody Guthrie's music and reading some of his work, um, and it, some of his some of his written work. And I, I I can't explain it. It was just like it was like meeting an old friend. Um, he just sort of, even though he died before I was born, he just kind of reached out from the page and I felt this connection and I wanted to know more. And I, I guess that's how it, it pulled me in. But, you know, the, 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 my, my narrative, what I do for kids and these educational programs are about how all of these movements for change have overlapped and been connected. 
you know, Pete Seeger was involved in, in bringing We Shall Overcome to the civil rights movement. And the more you dig in, the more connections you find, the more rabbit holes you go down and you start to find these connections. And, you know, as a, as a liberal, uh, I obviously grew up with the example of Dr. King in my life, but I had a very sheltered version of uh, the history of race and civil rights. You know, we were taught in school that Dr. King was sort of a, a saint figure, but we didn't get the real radical uh, behind his message. And Malcolm X was, you know, sort of a dangerous person who was sidelined in that story. So I had to relearn so much of that history, and I'm still learning constantly. Yeah. Um, you know, why is it important for, and why do you feel that it's important for children to understand that history of labor rights, labor movement, and civil rights? I think I think kids need to know the the power of action of of what is possible when people work together. Um, I also think kids need to learn things that aren't taught in schools enough, or they're or they're whitewashed. And both of those histories right. are very, very whitewashed. You know, we don't really learn about the history of race. We learn about slavery, Jim Crow, uh, and then everything's hunky-dory, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So kids don't know about redlining. They don't know about how black families continue to be affected by policies of banks and governments and, uh, you know, and in, and in employment. And kids know nothing about union history um, and about uh, workers' rights or about the way that, you know, government for years allowed, uh, allowed uh, you know, owners of businesses to hire people to go out and intimidate and kill uh, union organizers in a very similar way to how civil rights organizers were intimidated and, and killed. Um, now, because I work a lot in public schools, I have to walk a very careful line in my work. Um, mm. And I work in, in really hard not to preach, but to give, <laughs> to oh, give okay. facts, you know, to give information and facts. And I, in some ways, mm. I'm very lucky to be in a part of the country where I can do that. Um, because even facts are radical these days, right? Everybody's got their own set of facts. So I feel lucky that I'm... It, up here in the Northeast, there's a certain amount of leeway that I can kind of get away with. Um, but I'm, you know, but all I'm telling children is information. It's all factual. Uh, mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. but those facts don't get taught very often. You're listening to We Nation Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Uncle Devin, the children's drum cushionist. And my guest today is uh, Grammy-nominated Alistair Mook out of Boston. And you have a new CD that came out a few weeks ago, if not a month ago, uh, Be a Pain. And I love this CD. Describe this uh, CD for the audience. Well, th thank you, Devin. And uh, I'm going to be singing your praises later, but I'll, I'll take the compliment <laughs> for now. And, and, and oh, So you got the check. That's what <laughs> <I'm saying. laughs> I got the check. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, Be a Pain. Uh, is is an album about activism and leadership you know my my music uh for kids and in general has gotten more uh politically focused over the years but you know again i walk this line you know nobody wants to be preached at so uh i sing on the album a lot about history people who've stood up for change and can inspire us today so that the the lead song be a pain uh, that title, consciously or not, uh, was definitely inspired by John Lewis's phrase, causing good trouble. Um, be a pain, as I was thinking about how to write for kids about activist leaders and, and people who've stood up to change things. Um, you know, when you write for kids, you gotta, you gotta find a, a way in. There's gotta be a window. And be a pain was a, a phrase that came to me as a way to kind of latch on to that sneaky part of kids. Like kids like to be a pain and 
they like to cause trouble. And we as adults and as parents spend a lot of time telling kids to stop being a pain. But like John Lewis said, there's there's being a bad pain and there's being a good pain to to paraphrase. And so my that song sings about uh, four leaders in history, Rosa Parks, then uh, then Harvey Milk, the great LGBTQ leader, then uh, then Billie Jean King, uh, the tennis star and outspoken feminist uh, uh, leader who helped change um, pay for women in her sport. But it, you know, her sport was a stepping stone, just like Arthur Ashe in tennis for speaking about larger societal issues. And then bringing it up to the present by talking about kids from Parkland protesting. But it's it's the kind of song that, you know, it, it, I could rate another 400 verses. And someday I hope that, um, someday I hope that other people will take that song and write their own verses for it. You know, that's something I'd like to do with kids and with other writers. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take a listen to it and hear the lyrics that you came up with. And you're about to hear Be a Pain off of the new CD uh, by Alistair Moot uh, with the same title, Be a Pain. Uh, okay, it's not, not playing. Okay, I'm going to come back to it for a moment. And I'll edit some of the, the glitches out. But for some reason, I had it loaded. But let me, um, I'm going to have to convert the... Uh, download your CD, but I, uh, it, it came in as a different version. Okay. So I'm going to have to convert it over to an MP3 while we talk. But while we do that, let me, um, you, you mentioned about um, the, the, let's talk about the CD. I believe you may may mention before that uh, you've been told that your CD is too political for children. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to give any details about who it was that actually said that, but what did you, what, how, how, what was your thoughts when you heard that, and how would you, how do you respond to that? Well, I, I mean, first of all, I've been really happy with the the response to this album. Um, it's been way more positive than not, both from parents and, you know, and I've I've been very lucky with the children's music world over the years. Um, people have been supportive and. You know, we got some nice accolades and awards for this album. But, you know, I'm aware that that there are some outlets for music that are more commercial and they're going to struggle with um, work that they perceive to be political, especially, you know, if they're a national platform and they're playing in parts of the country that are more conservative. Um, You know, there's nothing there's nothing on this CD um like the work I do in schools you know I'm singing about facts and I'm singing about inspiration um and I do talk openly about race but we should all be doing that so I don't consider it politic you know specifically political I'm not you know I don't mention uh current leaders that would be a disservice to the music uh I most of what this album is is celebrating greatness, you know, celebrating courage. And uh, whether it's coming from black leaders in our country's history, LGBTQ women, uh, and white men too. People like, there's a song about Pete Seeger. Um, so I think, you know, I think there's a, there, there's a place uh, for all music. And I, I certainly think that there's a place for pure entertainment um, and, some people do that really well, but this is what I do. And, and, uh, you know, I make no apologies for it. And, and as, as I've gone in this, in this whole music business, one thing I've learned is that, uh, at least for an artist like me, you know, the goal is not to go wide. The goal is to go deep. That's, that's a piece of advice actually that was given to me by, um, my friend, and an elder uh, who sang with me on this album, Reggie Harris, uh, who's, who's done music for many, many years. And Reggie told me early on in my career, don't try to go wide, go deep. You know, find your audience and really connect with them. And it was the best piece of advice I've I've really ever gotten. And I've always remembered it. And I've tried to to stick to that. I don't need I don't need everybody. I just I need, 
I need to find my audience and then to make a real connection. You know, that's that's what's important to me. That's right. And, you know, um, looking at your CD, all the people that you mentioned, I see you have Billy Jean, Jean King's name on here, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. Um, uh, who else is it? Pete Seeger. Uh, uh, the, the album Ali. cover you're looking at. Right. Yeah, you're the album cover. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Colin Kaepernick and Megan Rapinoe, yeah, okay. too. New kids, too. <laughs> you know, New and, and to me, yeah, exactly. Now, it is one name I have to admit that I'm not familiar with um, Malala. Mm. Uh, Yus- uh, what's the, how, how does that? Yeah, you, yeah, explain who that person is. Yeah, and I, and I have a song. I actually re- had recorded this song earlier on a previous album, uh, but it fits so well with this material that we did it very differently this time. And, and Reggie Harris, who I just mentioned, sang it with me. Malala Yousafzai was the um, Nobel Prize winner, uh, a young woman, girl, really, uh, from Pakistan, who had uh-huh. stood up to oppressors. Oh, yes. What am I talking about? Yeah, won the, won the Grammy. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, what, um, what am I thinking? Yeah. That's right. And the her, name of the book. Her book, uh, she... the book, I Am Malala, got you won the yes. children music. Yes. What am I thinking? Music. Okay. Won the children's category. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, but Phenomenal Malala, I mean, but it's an important point because um, Malala, I sing about specifically the Parkland kids. I sing about specifically without going into a lot of details, but I think, mm-hmm. um, and Greta Thunberg, um, frankly, I had written most of the songs before she came to prominence, but she's another one. Um, and I think we put our name on the album cover, but, and same with these athletes, you know, Colin Kaepernick, Megan Rapinoe, and now, and it just goes on and on and on. You know, these days, uh, yeah, you know, my Celtics are uh, have really been standing up. Um, yes, yes. Uh, Brown in particular, and you know, these guys are, um, and the WNBA. Um, I I think it's so important for kids in particular, to see young people standing up for justice and to see athletes. You know, athletes are the superheroes of our society. And Muhammad Ali, uh, so many, you know, so many people have stood up uh, over time. Athletes, um, and the athletes that are doing it today, they're our new heroes. You know, how much did Colin Kaepernick change because he had that platform? Absolutely. And he had the courage to use that platform despite the content and knowing that there were going to be consequences. And and if he said that he knew that the world was going to change like it did this year and and, you know, uh, he I'm sure he would be lying because he didn't know. He knew that he stood up for principle. Mm. And that there, there's a there's a price that you got to pay for, you know, um, for speaking out for truth. And um, so he was being a pain. And now I think I got it queued up. So let's take a <laughs> listen to Be a Pain uh, here. Uh, Alistair Mook on We Nation podcast. If you see something that's wrong, raise your hand and say that's wrong. Point it out and name that thing by its name. Don't stand by and stare. If it's wrong, it's your affair. Don't be quiet. Make a riot. Be a pain. Be a pain. Be a pain. Shout about it and complain. Ignore the crowd and go against the grain. Don't be polite. Raise your voice and do what's right. Be a pain. Be a pain. When Rosa Parks sat on that bus, she chose to make a fuss. She chose to break the rules and take the blame. Her choice to sit and fight helped to bring on civil rights. Because one strong woman chose to be a pain. Be a pain, be a pain, shout about it and complain. If they say you have to move, say I'll remain. Don't be polite, raise your voice and do us right. Be a pain, be a pain, be a pain. Harvey Milky chose to run for the council board and won. Even though folks said 
because you're gay. One brave LGBTQ elected leader ran a new. You can change things if you choose to be a pain. Be a pain, be a pain, shout about it and complain. Tell them I won't let you make me feel ashamed. Don't be polite, raise your voice and do what's right. Be a pain, be a pain, be a pain. Tennis star named Billie Jean told the world she had a dream that men and women would be paid the same. She refused to hit that ball till there was equal pay for all. She was a king because she was a royal pain. Be a pain, be a pain, shout about it and complain. If they refuse to pay, refuse to play the game. Don't be polite, raise your voice and do what's right. Be a pain, be a pain, be a pain. Kids from Parkland led the fight for something they all knew was right. They said it's time for us to finally make a change. If adults can't compromise, we must go march for our lives. They spoke out and led the charge. They all were pains. Be a pain, be a pain, shout about it and complain. When you're faced with laws, you know are just insane. Don't be polite, raise your voice and do what's right. Be a pain, be a pain, be a pain. Oh, be a pain, be a pain, shout about it and complain. Ignore the crowd and go against the grain. Don't be Ah, that was Be A Pain. Alistair Moog off of his new CD, Be A Pain, an album for young and old leaders. Uh, this is Alistair Moog and Friends. Uh, when did your CD, uh, when was it released? Uh, it was actually released at the beginning of April. So it, okay. it, it's been a few months, but these, I don't know if you've noticed, but these few months have been kind of crazy. <laughs> Well, uh, when, when you decided, so I guess when you had already ready, had it ready for release, uh, that's when the pandemic hit. Um, and as an artist, how have you been able to navigate around the pandemic and uh, what's your thoughts about it? Uh, it's been hard. You know, it's been hard for all of us. Um, I've, I've, uh, I've been lucky to have some work that was lined up that I was able to do as sort of recorded work from home. And, um, uh, but a big part of my, my work is, uh, happens in schools. You know, it's not the glamorous, glamorous stuff, but it's the, it's the most important stuff I do. And it's, it's also the, the biggest piece of my income. So, uh, I'm worried about that, you know, that with the school year being so, um, so, uh, confusing to everybody. Things like enrichment programs and assemblies are not uh, at the top of the priority, but but I will say, Devin, and we were talking a little bit before. I don't, I don't if I can out you a little bit. You you and I have been part of a collective that has been working in children's music to try to uh, change the playing field a little bit around uh, around race um, and really amplify black artists and black businesses like. Uh, none of which, no business I could point to more prominently than your own We Nation Radio. Just a, a beautiful, fantastic thing that you've built. Um, and and I'll say that um, that th- being involved in that work has been really, it's been nourishing and it's made me feel like this time that all of us have been disrupted in our lives is, you know, is being put to good use. You know, I don't know if any of us would have had the bandwidth or time to commit as much as we have, um, but I'm so glad to have had that opportunity because now we're really underway and we're doing some things that are important. Yeah, and thank you so much. Even um, taking a stand, I mean, I know 
in our kindy community, you kind of led this um, discussion that ultimately led to where we are now with uh, the Family Music Forward uh, Collective. I'm going and... to protest a little bit there. I stuck my big mouth open, <laughs> stuck my foot in a door because I wanted I wanted to see change. But I quickly learned, you know, I knew that I knew who people were that were doing um, political stuff and organizing. Um, but I learned so much more, as we all now have, about who was doing stuff. And um, and I learned so much more specifically about We Nation and what you've been doing. And then you and Andres, uno, dos, tres, Andres, had already been working on an idea of, of having a showcase of Black artists. Um, and it was so much better an idea than the one I had that... Uh, but. But yeah, I mean, things worked out because I wouldn't have known if I didn't stick my nose in. So now I know. And and now we have this really amazing thing coming up that we're all working on. Yes, September 19th and 20th. It's the um, Kukuza Fest. Mm. Kukuza Fest. Kukuza stands for Amplify. And we're amplifying uh, Black voices and family music. And it's a uh, two-day festival from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we have a wonderful uh, lineup for you. Uh, the best uh, Black artists in family music, uh, including um, Marilyn McCool, Billy Davis Jr. Uh, you mentioned Andres, uh, Latin Grammy award-winning uh, one, two, three Andres. Uh, we have uh, Father Goose and Saul Paul and the Alphabet Rockers, two-time Grammy-nominated uh group Reese Palmer and more. And so I'm I'm just honored and I, I have to admit though, and I, I think you and I have had some conversation offline about it. I started We Nation Radio in two, in 2017. Mm. Um it has been I mean both my wife and I at times literally were wondering is it even not not not, not whether it was worth it, but whether or not it would even matter. Mm. Um because it we had two there's two two ways of I mean two things that we had to go up against. One, the already established radio stations that were already set in stone that generally already got you know their funding, uh, and and they're rolling, and then trying to also educate the black community about the importance of family music, which really doesn't exist in, until now. Mm. And so um, I've just you know, the the coalition and the, the collaboration that we have has really given both Alita and I a, a, a huge um, boost of energy to um, to say that it certainly was worth it, and just to see people come together for that has, has been great. And um, and so thank you for that. And and all and and how can people? Let me let me state that question again. Um, how can people uh, get a copy of your CD? Well, it's on. Uh, well, with everything messed up, I it's on Apple Music and uh, Pandora and. What's the other one that every? Oh yeah, you got Amazon, you got on, uh, Pandora, Spotify. Spotify uh, yeah, it's on. It's on all that. Yeah, stuff. pretty much all the social media. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if you want an actual a physical copy, the best place, uh, the best place for me, for people to go would be to my website, which is mook music m o o c k music. dot com. Mm-hmm. Thank you. For that. No, are you? Are you doing any uh, virtual classes right now? Does that have you been able to pivot to that? I know you talked about mm. doing some work now, but uh, if, if a school wanted to reach you and work with you, are you doing any virtual classes? I am. I mean, I'm offering that, and uh, and I'm going to be doing some PTO work um, in my own city, in my little town, Melrose, Massachusetts. Um, you know, and every year I send out a a mail blast to a lot of PTO people in this area. And, um, but I, you know, I, people have so much else on their mind right now. I'm, I'm hesitant. Um, so I, I hope that yes, I'm offering it and, and it's available. Uh, but I'm trying to use this time productively too. So, um, you know, following up on what we were talking about, I've spent years now building up relationships with, cities in in this area around boston in particular and um you know building up trust for these programs and a lot of the way these things go it's word of mouth um one of the things that i want to start doing more 
you know, and all of these, it's like, it's just like we nations. Like, why haven't we done it before? Why haven't we been all pushing what you've already built? You know, well, we were wrong. We, we didn't see it. It got lost in all the stuff and we weren't focused. And, you know, you can spend time beating yourself up or you can move forward and just, you know. And so one of the things that I want to be doing now is pushing PTOs in my area to be hiring more performers of color to do enrichment work. But one of the things I'm also, in this time, this is a, a period uh, that we can all work on our craft and what we do. And, you know, one of the things I've been offering these programs on on social change for years in schools, but uh, I'd like to bring some of that programming up to the minute and um, and really build something that specifically focuses around race. And I've been thinking a lot about this in my own self, that finding the right partner to do educational work with um, a, a performer of color um, where we could have a real conversation on stage, you know, about race and model that for children and answer questions plainly, you know, encourage kids to ask those uncomfortable questions and talk about it. Um, so that's something I've been thinking about. Um, mm -hmm. You may be getting a call at some point, Devin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, well, please, it's, it's, it'll be the honor. It'll be an honor. Um, Cause you do stuff in schools too, right? I know you do stuff for all kinds of educational programs yeah you know I, and for years i mean i'm a former youth director um in the washington dc area uh for a local church uh really for a denomination because i was working through the uh the ame zion church mm. um but also um in schools um workshops and then just my, my professional background as a diversity eo and and equal employment opportunity investigator diversity trainer a counselor and all um uh, so, yeah, I do a lot of that work. And, um, you know, for me, you know, all of this started, I, I feel a little <laughs> isolated many times in my own generation. Because mm -hmm. when I came out of college, something, I mean, I, I'm no different than anyone else, but, you know, we led a sit-in when I was in school to fight racism. Um, the five day sit in, which was huge in Baltimore at that time. It was, um, I didn't realize that at the time that we made national news when we did that, mm. but something clicked in me that the, the person that I am now really wasn't necessarily the person I was in high school, uh, because I started to become aware of information and how to think for myself and think critically and to speak up and, so I've been on fire, you know, the, most of the, the, the rage that people feel as a result of the, the death of George Floyd and others. Um, I have to admit that I've had that same rage ever since I came out of college in, in, in 1989. Mm. And my whole life has been patterned after that. And so I didn't get into children's music until uh, about eight years ago, because prior to that, I literally was organizing. I was, you know, organizing not only here in the United States, but around the world, around issues that I thought that thought mattered. Mm. And I think that that really helped to shape me. And from my conversations with you, some of your um, world travels has also helped to shape the person that you are. Can you share a little bit about where you've been in the world, uh, what you've experienced so that people can see um, that you're more, even though you were born in New York and you live in Massachusetts, that, you know, you've kind of been a little bit everywhere. Mm. Well, I had an unusual upbringing, Devin. I um, I'm an only child. My, my parents come from very different backgrounds. My mom's Jewish. My dad's uh, uh, died in the wool wasp, and but both of them took a hard turn after college. They got caught up in uh, the music of Pete Seeger and the folk movement, and also, you know, in the questions that that. President Kennedy was asking this new young generation, uh, what can you do? Um, and they both, uh, instead of taking the paths that were sort of lined up for them or expected that my mom would become a, you know, housewife, my, my dad would go run the family business. They both um, went to Africa after college. My mom uh, joined the Peace Corps. She was in second class. I believe of the Peace Corps and she was in Malawi and my 
my dad did a similar program called Teachers for East Africa. Um, and it changed the course of their lives. They, the, they then spent the rest of their lives working on uh, education issues, primarily in, in Africa and then also for my dad uh, in Asia, um, in what is sometimes, uh, you know, it's, that, that word has never been found. That developing countries is not a good word for it. But they're post-colonial countries is what they are, countries that were raped and pillaged, you know, by colonial powers and left in ruins. And so that's been my parents' life. Uh, you know, I grew up surrounded by African art and artifacts and, um, and African professionals coming and going in my home. But, you know, so, and then, and then I, I studied in Zimbabwe for a while in college and thought I was going to go into this work, but got called in a different direction. So you and I have talked about, we share some of those international connections. I think it's, you know, it's so broadening to see that, but I will also say that, um, in some ways it was the, it was almost fool's gold for me, or, um, it made me think that I had a better handle on, on race and my own country's history than I think I did, you know, because our country has such a specific toxic history of race and it's different from anywhere else. Um, and you know, the, I'm repeating myself, but the education that both white and black and brown children get in schools is not accurate and it's certainly not complete. And so we know so little about where we come from. You know, I think my parents and, and me for much of my life knew a lot more about the history of countries in Africa you know, as little as I knew about that, but I knew more about that than I did about my own country's real history. Um, and, you know, I, we are in a moment of opportunity here. It feels like something different is in the air, although I certainly understand and share the skepticism of so many Black Americans who I think look at this moment and say, is this fool's gold? Is this just you know, history tells us that white people get interested in something and then they go away uh, and we get, end up back where we were. So, I, but I'll, I'll tell you that even though I've spent my life in a lot of ways focused on civil rights and, and, and world history and, and oppression, I feel like I've had kind of a rebirth, a, a reawakening or a new awakening of things. You know, I didn't share your anger in the same way that you said that you had since college because I didn't share that experience. You know, I remember so clearly I was in college my freshman year when Rodney King was beaten. And the only thing new about that was that it was on camera because, because, personal cameras were a relatively new thing. You know, that what happened in LA has been happening forever in America, but it was shocking to me and to so many of my white friends to see it. And uh, we, to us, it felt singular. Like, how could this happen? You know, almost same thing with John Lewis though, because that's what, I mean, what he and the other civil rights activists were going through when they were marching wasn't new. It just so happened that that particular one uh, event uh, when they marched over the bridge in, in um, uh, Alabama mm -hmm. was videotaping for the whole world to see. And, and that really ignited the movement then um, after people saw it. And, uh, and I guess that's, that's what, you know, for me, I didn't, I don't have to see it because I've read it. And I've talked to people and I've organized with people, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Zimbabwe and, you know, I've, I've, I've met Robert Mugabe um, before and um, in, in New York. Um, I've worked with uh, Zimbabwe and movement to, for, for freedom and in uh, and, and Zania, South Africa. And, um, you know, I mean, you, you know, Panama and Cuba and Venezuela. And, um, but when you, when you, 
the the thing is we may not always be able to see it on camera mm. but we must know that these conditions still exist and 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 I agree with you that um you know things will will pick up for a moment but then when things kind of settle down people will go away and get back you know to being comfortable and then it leaves people like you and I who still have this you know like come on people let's 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 work and let's organize we now get back uh, on our little uh, isolated island that we're we're placed on by virtue of of apathy in the community. But um, well, I hope not, uh, but, Devin. I hope not. And because yeah. one thing that feels different, you know, mm-hmm. our little coalition in, in children's music yes. is doing some tangible things, and that feels yes. different. Something new. It really does. It really is. It you know, really. And we're really not going to let this go. We're going to yes. hold on to this. I mean, the only proof is in, in, in the pudding. You know, we have to show that we're not going to go back to sleep. But um, I, too, I think I've, you know, in some ways, I think Ibram X. Kendi wrote recently, uh, he said he was writing about Trump. I'll, I'll just go all the way there now, I guess. And he, he was writing about Trump saying, uh, that he's the least racist person in the world and, you know, and that black people have so much to thank him for. And Kendi turned it around and said, you know, he's actually right. Black people have a lot to thank Donald Trump for because nobody in American history has woken the country up to racism more than this presidency has, you know? Um, so I, I and, and one of the things for me, uh, I've also been working locally in my own town on a coalition, and that's new for me too. You know, I've I've felt a lot of despair these last several years, but uh, the idea I've always sort of gotten intellectually that working locally seems like a good idea, but my nature has always been like, I want to go work on big things and go to big marches and be in the middle of big things. But um, you know, and I live in a town. That is ninety percent white. We ended up uh, moving in this town. We moved from a much more diverse town to this town, and there were some very specific reasons in our lives. My daughter had cancer. We had neighbors from hell uh, who sort of chased us out of the neighborhood, and we found a place here. And we spent a lot of time wringing our hands and regretting the lack of diversity in our town. And I think I spent years thinking. Well, what do I, what am I, you know, we hear a lot here in a town like this outside of Boston that's so white. Like, you know, our big problem is lack of diversity. Our big problem is, um, this is white liberals talking to each other. You know, everybody's white here, except that, that we're not. If 90% white means that we're 10% not white. And in Boston, we have a historic busing program that families almost, almost, uh, entirely black families, uh, with some exceptions from Boston, choose choose to use this program called the Metro program to send kids to suburban schools. So our schools, in particular, have a have a significantly higher percentage of color, um, and we have a lot of problems here. We have all kinds of implicit bias and things that we do badly, um, but. I now look at the fact the whiteness of this town, that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity because it means we've got a lot of work to do. And, you know, I think one of the things that feels very different to me in my understanding of this work over the last couple of years is that you can do anti-racism work anywhere, you know, and white suburban towns uh, need anti-racism work as much or more than anywhere. So, uh, you know, I jumped in with two feet here in my town politics, and we have worked hard to build a, a coalition like the one we've built in children's music to really reflect diversity, to put weight on black voices in particular, and to center those voices in our conversations. And to try to change the conversation in our town. And, you know, we're just beginning here and there, there's so much work to do, but I think I just, I'll shut up in a second. I just think, uh, you know, one of the things that, that this presidency and this moment has taught me is that we 
all have opportunities. You know, there's stuff happening everywhere around us and we can jump in. You just close your eyes and point in the direction and you can get involved. That's right. Uh, there's definitely so much work. And, and I guess even from, you know, like you say, in a, in a majority white community, there, there's, there's, there's bias, there's different opinions and helping one another to be aware you know, just like, you know, in, in any community, I grew up in the Christian church and I used to do a diversity training class. And as uh, and this is an all black church. So typically we, we're we familiar with racism, but we weren't realizing, at least that church wasn't realizing uh, as open as they say that they were. They really weren't. They had a lot of biases, historical biases, uh, uh, gender based biases. Uh, and so I would bring those out in our discussions that we had. Um, so no matter what group we're in. We have a lot to learn and to um, to to change. And you're right. Once you become aware of your historical responsibility, which we all have, um, you can jump in. Uh, the best thing always is to ask questions, uh, find people who are doing what you feel uh, that you should be doing, uh, learn from them. Uh, and then, you know, make, make your way. It's, and, and knowing that you're going to make, make mistakes, mistakes, um, a good friend of mine who I organized with, um, once said that the only people that don't make mistakes are people who don't do anything. Mm -hmm. So, um, that mistakes is what makes you, and helps you grow. Um, and so, um, I, I think that to me is, is, is key. And, and we need, we need more activism. We need more, uh, you know, work in this regard because it's, it's so much work to be done. Now, uh, I want to, now you won the, and I, I, I'm, I know you enough to know, Alistair, that it's not about talking about you and, and the accolades and all that. But I also want the audience to know um, about your music. And I regularly play um, music from your 2013 album, which is the one that you were nominated for a Grammy. And uh, I believe that is that was uh, Singing Your Way Through, Songs yeah. for the World's Bravest Kids. Is that is that the same one that you won a Grammy for? Well, it was nominated. Yeah, singing. I mean, nominated. Rather, I'm through. sorry. Yeah, yeah. And and I I wanted to touch on that. Um, and, and and if and I know I can get you to talk about it. If I say it's not about you, let's talk about the children going through that you wrote that song for. What was that? I mean, that CD for. What was that? Uh, who did you write that for? And um, and what was your inspiration in writing that CD? Well, I have twin twins uh, who are now thirteen, and when one of them. Uh, Cleo was five. She was diagnosed with leukemia uh, and was in the hospital. And that album began with songs that she and I wrote together in that setting as a way of escaping. Um, and then, uh, and then I began to write songs about the experience of being in the hospital. Some of them were. I, the song when i get bald was a you know a song about writing about our experience um and what she was going through about to go through um you know and but also you know that's a world i knew nothing about i didn't know about sick kids i i would never have known how to write those songs or um and i would have felt the same sort of teary saccharine feelings about it uh, I asked my friend Anand Nayak, who, a musician I've now worked with on many albums, to produce that album. And he told me later, he said, when you asked me, I thought, this is impossible. There's no way we're going to write an album about being in the hospital and aim it at children. It's going to be just, <laughs> it's going to be horrible. It's going to be all these sad songs but i knew differently because i had now been in that experience and i i saw how much joy there can be in that space and um not just in my daughter but in in other kids i saw the way kids are kids you know and even when they're sick you know they look forward to not being sick and when they're feeling better they play like all kids uh, i tell you that that album taught me so much about writing and specifically writing for kids and understanding how um, to look for a window. You know, you you have to find the right window to talk about 
touchy subjects with kids, but you can get there. Um, but it also, I think, made me just a more empathetic person, Robin. You know, I think um, I think probably that experience led directly to a lot of the work and the music that I do now because it helped me get outside myself and my own experience and see other people's experiences. You know, that's amazing that, that, that music can help us do that. And, um, mm. and, and, and I, I'm, I'm glad that it did because again, this, this currency that you have um, be a pain an album for young and old uh, leaders is phenomenal. Um, so what we're going to do, I, I want to play one last song off of that mm. uh, CD uh, before we, we end. Um, and I, but I want you to set it up for me. Um, everybody was a kid. Talk a little bit about uh, uh, about that song. Sure. Um, well, one of the things that that I thought about when I was writing this album, you know, specifically for kids, um, was I wanted to think about uh, leadership and activism from a kid's point of view. You know, one of the things that I do in schools that I really focus on is trying to teach kids that leadership starts in every moment, you know, that you don't have to wait to be an adult to be a leader, um, that you can be a leader in school, you know, when you stand up for somebody else, when you stand up for yourself, you're being a leader, uh, you're setting an example. Um, so I was thinking about these, you know, and also to, to understand leadership. I'm reading a book right now called The Sword and the Shield. Have you run across it yet? It, it's about Dr. King and Malcolm X and their relationship and, uh, and how they influenced and pushed each other. But, you know, the starting place of the book is sort of like, uh, here are these two mythological creatures, these people we've built up in our minds as greater than life which is what we do with heroes. Uh, but they're people, you know, and you have to break that down. And I think it's important for all of us, but in particular, in this case, kids, to see that heroes are just people uh, who decide to take a stand and one step leads to the next step, right? And uh, the, yes, they're extraordinary people, but they started like all of us, you know? They're people who made a commitment. So... Everybody was a kid is is about um, leaders and heroes in our culture, including Dr. King and Malcolm X, who are the first two I think I mentioned in the song. And just talking about the fact that they were kids too; they they started mm -hmm. off just like we all do as kids. Well, one, once an adult, twice a child—that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, but let's take a listen to uh, "Everyone Was a Kid." This is off of Alistair Moose CD, "Be a Pain." Uh, an album for young and old leaders. Let's check it out. Two little eyes Staring from a crib A tiny little mouth Drooling on a bed A tiny little fist With a tiny little grip Before they grew up Everybody was a kid Malcolm X was a kid And Dr. King was a kid Mahatma Gandhi was a kid The Dalai Lama was a kid Before they got tall Before they grew big They used to be small Everybody was a kid You are a kid You got dirt on your hands You wipe them on your shirt Yeah, you wipe them on your pants But one of these days You're gonna get real big How do I know Everybody was a kid Ah, so where you gonna go And what you gonna do Who you gonna be Well, 
waiting on you. We're holding our breath, and our lips are all big because we all know everybody was a kid. Oprah Winfrey was a kid, and Angelina Jolie. Even Bill Gates and Muhammad Ali. Before they got known, before we knew what they did, before they got grown, everybody was a kid. From a crib, a tiny little mouth drooling on a bed, a tiny little fist with a tiny little grip. Before they grew up, everybody was a kid. Ah,、oh, so where you gonna go? What you gonna do? Who you gonna be? We're waiting on you. We're biting our nails, though we keep it well hid, because we all know everybody was a kid. To We Nation Radio podcast, and that was the one and only Alistair Mook with his song "Everybody Was a Kid" off of his 2020 CD. Came out in April of 2020. Be a pain, an album for young and old leaders. I, I said learners before, <laughs> yeah, leaders.、Um, and you know, I used to tell a joke.、Um, uh, kind, you know, I, I love corny jokes. As serious as I am on one hand, I can be as silly as the next. But you know that. Uh, you know, someone that sees a lady that's obviously pregnant and say, "Hey, are you going to have a baby?" And she's like, "No, I'm going to have a full grown adult." <laughs> and so, no, no one ever has a full grown adult. Everybody always has a baby, so everyone's a child, and they grow up from a child. and And I love to watch nature shows and and watch how almost in every animal,、uh, definitely mammals,、um, how the babies all play.、Mm. And that's how they learn. They play. They learn social skills. They learn their motor skills. They learn everything about、uh, who they are and the, their place in society. And that's why what what we do in this industry is very, very, very important. So、um, I want to encourage everyone to go to mookmusic dot com m o o c k music dot com if you、uh, want to go and check out all of his music,、um, Alistair's music. As well as、um, if you're interested in、um, using him for schoolwork, he does assemblies, virtual work. But also, more importantly, if you're interested in just engaging with him about the, all the wonderful work that he's doing to、uh, make change out here,、um, uh, you know, we all need to be doing that. And I want to thank you personally again for、um, for what you're doing. It, it, you just don't know how much this has really helped to give me a boost and shot in the arm. You know, like any human being, you can get down at times, but This wave of love that I'm getting from the whole that Lolita and I are getting from the entire Kindy community is just wonderful. So well, it, definitely it, appreciate you for that. It's so well deserved, and I so appreciate you, Devin. And I want to encourage everyone to go. <laughs> You're already listening to this on We Nation Radio, but if you have the means, I hope you'll donate、uh, and support this this work that Devin and Lolita are doing because it's it's so necessary, so important, and、uh, I love you, brother. 
I'm so glad we've gotten yes. to know each other better over these last uh, last several months. Same here. And I definitely appreciate it. And I appreciate you all for tuning in and listening. Uh, we come to you regularly with some of the best interviews, but you can also go to WeNationRadio.com and listen to the best and family-friendly global beats for Little Feet. And again, I'm your host, Uncle Devin, the children's drum cushionist, um, with our guest today, Alistair Mook. And as I always say, life is a drum, so beat it.